Morning, everybody. Thanks, Marty. Thanks, team. Thanks, Pastor Daryl. Great to have you with us this morning on this beautiful, warm morning. We're going to the beach at the end of the week, so tomorrow, actually, as a matter of fact. So, looking forward to that little time away together. Let me just uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity that we can come together to uh, meet, to worship you, and pray you help us to set apart uh, this time for you um, and to lay aside the things that would otherwise distract us. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Yeah, Lord, be central in our thinking and our sight as we listen to you right now. As we continue to listen to you, Lord, we already have been, and we thank you for your words and for this time that we've been able to meet and just uh, contemplate you and gaze upon you. Lead us as we meet you around the word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you will be familiar with this story of history, but I wonder if you're familiar with what's behind this story. In May 1940... Hitler's forces had cornered 380,000 Allied soldiers in northwest France. Trapped with their backs to the sea, no more than 40,000-30,000 were expected to be evacuated to safety. Facing calamity, King George VI called his British subjects to a national day of prayer. Can you imagine our Premier, Prime Minister and so on doing that today? Could happen. But he called, King George VI called his British subjects to a national day of prayer. On the 26th of May, 1940, the overwhelmed people of Brisbane filled churches up and down the land, interceding for the lives of those 380,000 soldiers, crying out to God for the kind of national deliverance described in the Bible. Winston Churchill described the results of that prayer meeting as a miracle of deliverance. The first answer to prayer was the enabling, sorry, was the weather. The sea was the calm as it had been for 30 years. Enabling a flotilla of private vessels to cross the English Channel to rescue troops from Dunkirk. Meanwhile, a storm blew up in France to ground sections of the Luftwaffe. What's more, Adolf Hitler inexplicably made one of the worst decisions at the war, holding back his forces to enable one of the greatest escapes in history, which enabled more than a third of a million men to fight another day, and thereby undoubtedly determining the outcome of World War II. That miracle of deliverance is well known. Fewer people realise that it was an answer to the intercessory prayers that spanned the British Isles on the 26th of May, 1940. Isn't prayer powerful? Isn't God powerful? That's why prayer is powerful. Because we worship a God who is almighty, infinite in power and glory, wisdom, honour, praise. And as we continue this, uh, this, <coughs> with, with the Alpha Prayer series, and, <clears throat> and I trust for those of you who, are, who have been able to do this, uh, are also finding the corresponding prayer course uh, also helpful to you. Um, last week we looked at the subject of power in prayer petition, in that, uh, what do we mean by petition? In that, that we come to the Lord in prayer and we ask him for the needs that we have. 
as Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, in specifically when he gives us this model, where he says, give us this day our daily bread. So we need to ask the Lord for the things that we need. But this week, today, uh, we want to be looking at intercessory prayer. Intercession. And that is asking for God, asking God for the needs on behalf of other people, other places or situations. That's what intercessory prayer simply means. <clears throat> and as you read through the scriptures, you'll find dozens of amazing stories and examples of intercessory prayer. And the more well-known ones include such as Abraham, who intercedes on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, the righteous that are there. Genesis 18, 16 to 19, 38, fantastic example of intercessory prayer. What about Moses in Exodus 17? I want to read those uh, magnificent words that, that just paint such a beautiful picture of what intercessory prayer is about. Exodus 17, verses 10 to 13 says this. So Joshua fought the Amalekites, the Amalekites, as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands up, one on each side, one on the other. So that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So a beautiful picture of intercessory prayer. There's Moses praying as his army fought in the valley. And then another, of course, was Queen Esther um, in her role with her cousin Mordecai and, and how she interceded on behalf of the Jewish nation, appealing to King Xerxes. You know, and God worked powerfully to deliver them from the, the murderous hand of Haman. And again, just let me read you these words that just paint this picture of intercessory prayer. This is Esther, she says in verse 14 to 16 of chapter 4. <clears throat> this is Mordecai saying these words to her. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, these are key words, we know them quite well, don't we? And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, three nights. And I and, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done... I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And, you could probably finish this, and if I perish, I perish. Fantastic. Just gave herself for this whole purpose of intercession. And of course, in the New Testament, we've got the Lord Jesus. Supreme example of intercessory prayer. I love it, this prayer where, where he says in, in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I have prayed for you. Do you know that we have a saviour? Do you know that we have a, a true high priest who ever lives to intercede for you and me? 
Did you know that? Listen to these words, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 7, verses 24 to 25. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Isn't that awesome? It's the sort of God we have. That's why we worship him. And Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you know me. Thank you that you know all about me, my circumstances. You know, and this is the, the, the wonderful and mysterious truth is that, that God has chosen, that God's chosen to, to work in partnership with us. It's the first part of our mission statement, working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Christ, but working with God. And it is principally through prayer that he does this. And also you'll notice that, that when we come into the Lord's presence in prayer and we meet with him and he with us, and, and this obviously also applies to intercessory prayer, that, that it's not a matter of us coming to the Lord's presence and interceding for, you know, on behalf of someone else or praying to him. It, it's, it's not a matter of us then moving God into our way of thinking, but it's that he moves us into his way of thinking. Do, do you get that? In other words, it's just how Jesus himself prayed when he faced the true reality of the cross and all that Calvary was going to mean. And then Jesus prays those words in the garden when he was in agony. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I want us again to look at the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 and 10 says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is teaching us this very prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The very prayer he prayed in the garden. Lord, if it's, if it's, <clears throat> if it can, if it's possible, remove this cup of suffering from me. I don't want to have to go through this. But he says, but nonetheless, not my will, but yours. Yours be done. Yours has to be done. Whatever the cost. Your will be done. And this is how the Holy Spirit enables us, how he helps us, how he inspires us as he intercedes for us to pray. That very prayer, our Father in heaven, to pray to him. Listen to how the, the Apostle Paul describes this in, in Romans 8, 26, 27. These are fantastic verses. If you get an opportunity, just jot them down and, and read them later. But Romans 8, 26, 27 says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because, folks, we're pretty weak. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And sometimes our prayers are groans. Sometimes they're through tears. Sometimes they're sighs. Sometimes they're inaudible or expressions that, that, that you, no one can make sense of it. But God's spirit does. He knows what's in your heart. Let me go on. Verse 27. 
And he, this is, this is fantastic, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people, and listen to these words, in accordance with the will of God. So it's not a matter of us coming to God's presence and trying to convince him to do things our way. It's when we meet with God and our heart joins with him, he brings us in line with his will. And the Spirit then enables us to pray in accordance with God's will. You see how it's a spiritual thing? It's not just us trying to do a human thing here. It's meeting God. It's spirit to spirit. I can't explain and I don't think anyone else can. But we do know in the light of this passage I've just read from Romans 8 that that in true intercessory prayer the Holy Spirit draws us in alignment with and then he draws us in alignment to not only with the will of God but he gives us the desire the desire for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But can you also see that this speaks of the kind of relationship and intimacy that God seeks with us. It's not just coming into the presence of God and just asking him something and say, thanks Lord, and off you go again. When you meet God in prayer, he wants to draw you to himself and he wants you to draw him to yourself. To experience that communion, that intimacy with him that he seeks. Listen to these scriptures. Paul, as he says to uh, the Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 13. He says, for it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not yours, but for his. He draws you to himself. Gives you the longing for his will. A thirst for him. It's God's spirit both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The psalmist also exhibits this kind of, this attitude and experience when he says this, Psalm 40 verse 8. He says this, I desire to do your will, my God. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. And can I ask you this morning, is it your desire as well to do God's will? Is that the number one priority for you? Lord, I want to know your will and I want to walk in your ways. I desire to do your will. Not mine, but yours, because yours is good, perfect, acceptable. More about that later on. The Lord Jesus himself, he said these words in John 4, verse 34. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. It's my food. It's what I'm here for. To do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Powerful when we pray prayers like that, folks. I want you to notice as well that as we're going through the Lord's Prayer and verse 10 here in, in, in Matthew 6, where it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you read the commentators, you might come to that conclusion yourself. It's a petition. We're petitioning God in the Lord's Prayer. But it can however be come also an intercessory prayer when you pray when you pray that same prayer when you pray that will to be done in that person the person that God's laid on your heart or that place or that situation Lord your will be done in that person Lord in that place in that situation it becomes an intercessory prayer so what we're really praying for is that just as God's will is already being done in heaven without resistance, willingly, 
with great desire being done in heaven so on earth lord so in that person so in that place lord so in that situation as john stott puts it that it may come to approximate more nearly to that glorious life in heaven so just as god's will is being done in heaven and we try to visualize what that's like welcomed lord bring that scene down into this person's life into this place lord into the situation just as it's in heaven, Lord, bring it down here in these situations, persons, places. And how could we as believers not pray for God's will to be done and to intercede that God's will be done, particularly when we're aware of how Paul describes God's will? And you know these verses well. We've been going through it so much. Romans 12 too, I'm sure you're not off by heart. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed which is what we're on about this year, transformed by the renewing of your mind, then listen, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then he describes something about God's will, his good, pleasing and perfect will. How could we not pray for that to be done when it's good, pleasing and perfect? You'd be battling to get anything better than that. The will of God, says Philip Keller, He says, is simply God's intentions. It's what he purposes. It's what he plans and wants to be done. Now, and let's be honest about this. Let's be honest and real. Sometimes his will is, is very clear, as revealed in the scriptures. We, we know that. Let me give you a very obvious example. For example, you're praying for someone, Lord, save that person. I believe that person, Lord, you want to save. Bring them to yourself, Lord. You don't have to pray, Lord, if it's your will. Because you see, in the scripture, it's already told us that it's God's will. 2 Peter 3.9, for example. You can pray this prayer back to God in intercession. When you pray, Lord, let me just read the scripture. You can make it your own prayer. The Lord is not slow to keeping his promises, some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting, not willing for anyone to perish, anyone, but everyone to come to repentance. And when you pray a prayer like that, intercessory prayer like that, you can be, you know, you can be jolly assured if God's laid that person on your heart, he wants to bring them to himself. You can pray without a doubt, leave it with God, but that's how you pray. Assured, not having the doubt. And what if God doesn't want to save the person? Well, Lord, according to your scriptures, you do. You're not willing that he would perish. All right. But on the other hand, sometimes it's not as clear. Not as clear as to what God's will is. And I love what Carson, uh, D.A. Carson says. He brings some fantastic teaching. I want to read what he says. When it may not be clear to you. How do we deal with that? Listen to this. There's some fantastic tips here. He says, if we're praying God's will to be done on earth, we're committing ourselves, firstly, to two important responsibilities, Carson says. Firstly, he says, learning all we can about God's will. That means sustained and humble study of the scriptures. For example... What are the themes, and he uses these books as examples, what are, for example, what are the themes of Zechariah and Galatians? What are the themes that we find in those books of the Bible? In other books, what are the themes? 
What do we learn of God's will from Exodus and, if, and Ephesians? When you read, what do we ask yourself these questions? What do we learn about God's will from reading these scriptures? How do the portraits of Jesus painted by Matthew and John differ from and complement each other? The portraits of Jesus. Who do we see Jesus? What do we see him doing in Matthew and in John? How do they complement? How do they differ from each other? He goes on, he says, in studying God's will, what I have learned, oh, in, studying God's, in studying God's will, what have I learned this week that has prompted improvements in my life, including my prayer life? So as you study the scriptures humbly before God, systematically, with those thoughts and questions in your mind, you can ask yourself, journal. I like to journal stuff that I've learned, and I believe that God speaks to us as we do that. Journal them down. What do you learn about God's will from those things? And then he says, secondly, this is about God's will. If we're praying that we might know God's will in certain situations. Secondly, pledging that so help me God, by his grace, I will do his will as much as I know. There's a couple of good points there about God's will. And again, let me just read something that uh, Philip Keller has said in his book, A Layman, A Layman Looks at the Lord's Prayer. Great little book if you haven't got it. I think some of you have got that. Let me just read you something out of that where he says this regarding the will of God. Yet the tremendous truth is that the will of God and the doing of that will is the most important activity in all the world the will of God is of such enormous magnitude and majesty that it completely overshadows all other concepts in the Christian life doing the father's will is is the one gigantic general central theme which should dominate the lives of all God's children does it dominate your life this morning? Doing God's will, knowing his will, doing his will. Yep, and I'd also suggest that it will dominate the way that we engage in intercessory prayer. In the video session um, of the Lord's Prayer, uh, sorry, of the prayer course that is, is uh, available at the moment. So in the video session of this particular session, Peter Gregg makes this comment. He says, intercession begins when we start to care about what God cares about. That's good, isn't it? Intercession begins when we start to really care about the things that God cares about, he says. And he also made reference to the prayer from the World Vision founder, Bob Pierce. And if you look at the video, it's a very powerful video. Bob Pierce, when he saw starving children in Korea, so much starving that they were peeling bark off trees and eating it. Well, he saw that. And then he goes away and he starts to pray and he wrote in the prayer leaf of his Bible these words. Let my heart be broken with the things that break yours. Lord, let my heart be broken with the things that break yours. Do they sound familiar, those words to you? Do you know how we sing them here? It's part of a song. Part of a song we sing here at SDBC. They're beautiful and they're powerful words of a heartfelt intercessory prayer. 
There's four things, there's four practical things. I'm going to close with this. There are four practical things that, that you and I can do to help us engage more effectively in intercessory prayer. These things are going to cover in the, in the video on this session. But let me give you these four things. First one is this. Get informed about what's going on in your world. Get informed about what's going on in your world. The reality is you can't know everything that's going on and maybe you're not meant to. You can't know everything. But the things, but of the things that you know that lay heavy on your heart, the things that you've heard, and it may have come from a newspaper, may have come from one of the talkback hosts. I often listen to these people at times. Other times I'll turn them off. But it's good to sometimes listen to what people are saying out there, what's on the heart of the community. So the things that then lay heavy on your heart, get informed. Listen to what God may be saying to you. What are the things that really do grip you? Impress on you. And it could be, it could be a, a, a need of a family member. We know what that's like, don't we? It could be the needs of a family member. It could be a friend, it could be a neighbour. Or it could be something more globally that God's touched you about and it's gripped you like it did with this guy. Attributed to the theologian Karl Barth is this statement... He says, I preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. In other words, get informed. Know what's going on. We need to be informed. First one. Second one. Get inspired about who God is. About his power. About who he is as a person. His love. His promises. And therefore, the real possibilities for change. Get inspired about what God can do, what, what, he might, might, what he might want to do in this situation, in this person, in this place. Read scripture like this, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus said this, Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Get inspired about the kind of God we have a relationship with. Get inspired. The third one, get indignant. Get indignant about the things that are wrong, the things that hurt, the things that are unjustified. Get, in, get indignant. The things that you know that God wants to change, God wants to see happen. The things he wants to change. It could it be that God is waiting for you to, tip, to bring that prayer of intercession before him? Is he waiting for you? Just like he was for this world vision guy, Bob Pierce, when he said, Lord, break my heart for the things that break yours. Get indignant about the things that are wrong. And start to sense that God may want to change that. And he might want you to be the change agent. Fourthly, get together with other believers for prayer. Absolutely, there's a time and a place for when you need to be with, your, with the Lord on your own. You need to go to that place in that closet and meet with the Lord in prayer. Definitely 
vital that you do that. But there's also a time and a place when we need to get together with other believers. It's important that we pray with other believers. There is prayer, uh, sorry, there is power in prayer when we come together in twos or threes. Let me read you again something that Jesus said, Matthew 18, 19 to 20. He says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And again, it's a prayer. We can open our Bibles and just read that back to God and say, Lord, this is what you're saying. I believe that. Lord, come, do these things. Glorify your name. Change that situation, Lord. This prayer in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, listen to this. After they prayed, and you need to read the whole of Acts chapter 4. Get inspired about that, particularly the whole prayer from verse 23. But I'm reading at the end, at the end of this prayer, verse 31 of Acts 4. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. It was shaken. What does that mean? Well, from what I, can, from what I read into it, it, it describes a powerful move of the Holy Spirit which sent the powers of darkness scuttling. When these believers met together and prayed over the situation they were in, it was shaken. It was shaken. And then it goes on and says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It all happened through intercessory prayer, meeting with God. Powerful things happened. Why don't we do it more often? <laughs> Four things. Write them down. Have a look at them. Practice it. Get informed. Get inspired. Get indignant. Get together. Get together. And on that point, date claimer. Date claimer. Wednesday, 30th of November, evening of prayer and a prayer walk that we're planning to do here in this church. Let's practice what we preach here. Get together. It's be the last one, I think, for this year of corporate togetherness in praying this way. 30th of November, evening of prayer, prayer walk. Get informed, get inspired, get indignant, get together. Can I invite us together to stand? and to say the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Let's make it our prayer as we pray this to our God. Let me lead us. Please pray with me. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Bless you, folks. Blessed Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul.
worship His throne.